All right, I'd like you to turn to two places in your Bible to begin. Let's look at Genesis uh, chapter 22, as well as John chapter 3. Genesis chapter 22 and John chapter 3. What I'd like to do this evening is I'd like to just take a walk through the, uh, the Bible, primarily the New Testament, and uh, look at the subject of the love of God. And, of course, there is so much in the Bible about the love of God. And we have 30 or 40 minutes to talk about the love of God. Uh, I promise you. I promise you, we will not get very deep into this subject. But hopefully, uh, with the Lord's help, we'll see enough to stir our hearts. Because the reality is that we should, every one of us, myself included, should stand in awe of God's love to us. It should not be something that we think about or talk about lightly in such a way that we can speak of it just in passing. Uh, you know, thank the Lord for there are times in, in our lives when, I don't know, the Lord just stirs us up and we just get overwhelmed with, the, uh, with a certain thing about the Lord that maybe we've known for a long time and it just, it just stirs us up and it makes us, uh, it just moves us. And uh, that's what I hope we do with the love of God here tonight. Genesis 22, we're going to pray first because we're going to kind of bounce around a little bit. And then John chapter 3, let's pray and then we'll look at uh, one verse in Genesis 22. Our Father, Lord, thank you for loving us. That your love is uh, far beyond the boundaries of our comprehension. Lord, I just ask you tonight, as we look at your word, as we look at your great love to us, that, Lord, that you would speak to your, the hearts of your people, that you would meet with us in a, in a special way, that you, would, uh, that you would work in our hearts by your Spirit in such a way that we would stand in awe of your love to us. Lord, your love to us is beyond uh, our understanding, but yet you've given us your word and your spirit. You've told us in the Bible that you want us to be able to comprehend what is the breadth and the depth and the height of the love of God. Lord, would you please give us instruction and teach us tonight? Lord, help your people. Each one of us needs you. Lord, help us to know more about you. Help us to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Genesis 22 is uh, the story, covers the story of, of course, the sacrifice of Isaac when Abraham took Isaac to the mountains of Moriah to sacrifice him at the command of God. And in verse number one, the Bible says, uh, just to kind of get the context for verse two, it says this, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, Thine only son Isaac, this is the part I want us to note, whom thou lovest. And get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him therefore a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. 
Now, in this story, of course, we know that Isaac is a type or a picture, a figure of Christ as a sacrifice. And we know there was also a ram caught in a thicket with his horns. That is also a picture, a type of Christ, the sacrifice that was substituted for Isaac. All right. But in, there's, there's one other figure here. If you, if you follow the typology of Abraham and Isaac, Isaac is a, is a type of Christ, the son, and Abraham is a type of the father. And the remarkable thing is we know that Jesus did not come, our Lord did not come to this world to die on the cross, to die for our sins at his own, of his own will and accord. No, he was sent. He was sent into the world, right? And uh, the Lord Jesus, of course, was willing. He was perfectly willing. We'll see a lot, a lot more about that in just a minute. But in this case, with the sacrifice of Isaac, what we see is Abraham loved his son. But even though he loved his son, yet he still sacrificed him or was willing to sacrifice him. Even though Abraham loved his son, he was still willing to sacrifice him. So that tells us that there is something that Abraham loved even more than his son. That's powerful. Now, following that typology, look at John chapter 3. John 3 and verse number 35. The Lord speaking. Well, this is actually, I think you could argue it's the Lord speaking, but anyhow, I think this is maybe John the Baptist. It says this. Yes, this is John the Baptist speaking. He says, the Father, verse 35, the Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into His hand. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. Now, while you're in John, look at chapter 17 and verse number 24. This is, chapter 17 is the high priestly prayer of the Lord for his disciples and also for us. In verse number 24, you see this. Father, John 17, verse 24, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. Look, look at this. For thou, the Father, lovest me before the foundation of the world. Why do you think that the Lord tells us, not once, not twice, many times, especially in the book of John, that the Father loved the Son? Of course, we think, well, we think, well, Jesus, Jesus and the Father, they're of one God, three, three persons, right? The Trinity, uh, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, these three are one. And so that's how we think of that. But really, in, in fact, they are one God. The three persons of the Godhead are one God. But yet, as, they're, as the, they exist as three persons in their relationship to one another, it's a relationship of a, that we can relate to, a father and a son. And the Bible says that the Father loveth the Son. So this is a mystery. Why, why, the, why the Bible says that the Father loves the Son, I, I can't give you a full, full, full uh, explanation for that. But I can tell you, 
I understand that love, right? I understand that love. And if you have a, if you have a child, you can understand the love that child had, that, that you have for that child. You know, I was thinking of, uh, I was thinking of a, uh, a video I saw on the internet. Um, it was at a rodeo. Some of you have probably seen it, but it was a rodeo, and there was this, it was like a youth rodeo, so there was this young man. He was, I think, a teenager, and he was riding a, a bull, and the bull was released from the chute, and pretty soon after that, after it was released from the chute, the kid fell off the bull, and it knocked him out. And so he was laying there with this, however, how, how, how many pounds is a bull? I mean, it's like hundreds and hundreds of pounds, jumping around, bucking, and he's laying there lifeless on the, on the dirt. And then out of the, out of the frame comes this man, and this man just literally throws himself on top of this boy and covers him entirely with his own body. And there's this like, you know, whatever, a thousand pound bull or whatever, jumping around just feet away. And that bull comes and this man covers the son, it was his son. He covered his son up with his body and this bull comes and of course tries to gore the, the two of them, but of course the, the father endures the brunt of it, and thankfully it wasn't that, it wasn't that serious, you know, relatively speaking. But, it, but he tried to gore the son that was on the ground until the, the uh, what do they call the clowns, to, could uh, distract the bull. But I thought, man, what a, what a picture of the love of a father for his son. No regard at all for his own safety. No regard at all. Did not have time to think, wouldn't have thought, wouldn't have given it two thoughts had he had time to think. Threw himself in front of his son, on top of his son, to cover his son from that angry bull. So we think of the, a love of a, of a parent for the child in that way, and really that's the way it is. I mean, if you have children, you can, you can relate to that. But in this case, what you have is the Lord telling us that the father loved him. Just like Abraham loved Isaac. But yet it was the father who sent the son into the world to die on a cross for our sin. Even though he loved his son, even though the father loved the son, yet nevertheless, he sent his son into the world. So that tells us, just like Abraham and Isaac, that tells us that what great, indescribable love God must have had for us. It must have been absolutely, it must be absolutely indescribable that even His own Son, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, He spared not His own Son. Not even His own Son was off the table. Let me tell you something. If one of my children, if, if I can't think of any case in which I would be willing to sacrifice one of my children for anybody else, period. I can't think of any case. I've, I sat this afternoon and thought, is there anything that any person, anything that I'd be willing to sacrifice my children for? And there doesn't exist one. But yet God did. And He did it explicitly because He loved us that much. You know, when you talk about love, it's kind of hard to define. You know, of course, everybody here knows I'm a word nerd. I looked up the word love and I was like, eh, that's not a very good definition because love is better seen than described. And when you see that the Father loved the Son and yet still sacrificed Him for us, 
it makes the love of God perfectly, perfectly clear to us. Now look at John chapter 3. We're going to bounce around, as I said, a little bit. We're just, as I said, we're just casually walking through different verses, reading them in context to understand, to get a glimpse of the places where we, we talk about the love of God. Let me say one thing I, lo- I, forgot, I forgot to mention. As we talk about this, I'm not here to encourage you to love God. That's not what, what the purpose of what I want to say tonight. Though we all should love God, right? The, the love of loving God should be something we, we do. I want us to stand in awe of God's love. I want us to, I want us to just to kind of stop thinking about what our responsibility is and just think about God, God's love to us. John 3:16. I read in I read in uh, in Genesis chapter twenty two verse two that is the first mention of the word love in the Bible. The very first mention of the word love in the Bible is the love that the Father had toward the Son. Now, of all the times you have the word mentioned uh, love mentioned in the Old Testament, it's really not until Gen, until John chapter three that you really have a very clear understanding of the motivation behind the Lord Jesus Christ coming into this world to bear a cross for your sin and mine. John 3 is really the very first time that the love of God is connected to the cross. John 3.16. Don't ever let this verse get old and stale to you. This verse, if you just spend some time meditating on this verse, it will come alive. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. How much did God love the world? Do you see that? The depth of God's love. So loved. This much. Remember? The Father loveth the Son. The Father loved the Son, but yet the Father so loved the world that even the very Son, His dearly beloved Son, He sent Him, right? Knowing full well what His mission was. But then we, so there's the depth of God's love, but then we see the extent of God's love for for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Notice the word world. Who's in the world? Who does that include? You know, this morning I had the opportunity to go out with David to the abortion clinic. And at the abortion clinic, there's a a lady there. What's her name? Kowani. Kowani is a very depraved person. She is in utter and total, just the blackest of darkness. She is actively hostile and vulgar, ungodly. You know what? God loves her. There is no depth. There is no sin so ugly. There is no no crime so wicked. There is no person so far that is beyond the touch of God's love. When the Bible says He loved the world... 
That is talking about everything that's in this world. Every person, no matter their status, no matter their sin, no matter where they come from. And you know what? That ought to be re- reflected in our view of them. So even for Kowani, did I say it right? Even for Kowani, as wicked as she is, we don't look at her with anger. We shouldn't look at her with anger. We should look at her with love because our God loves her, loved her. And he didn't love her any less than he loves us because we're saved. No, he loves her even though she's in sin. You know how I know that? Because the same Savior bled and died for her as for me and for you. That should motivate our love, right? See, the love of God is what what teaches us to love. That's what you find over and over in the book of John. Let's look at Romans chapter 5 as we hurry along here. Romans chapter 5. Listen, nothing I'm saying here is, is, is uh, new to any of you, and that's okay. Look at verse number 5. It says this, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, demonstrated, His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Notice the words. Notice the words. Without strength. This is a description of you and me. Ungodly, not righteous, not good. Verse 8, sinners. So Christ died for us with full knowledge of who and how we are. He did not, God's love was not conditioned upon our goodness. It was not conditioned upon whether we lived right or didn't live right. In fact, God expressed His love toward us before we were, long before we were born. Therefore, before all, any, any and all sin that we would ever commit, all of that was known by God. And it made no difference. So God's love, and this is an important thing for us to understand, God's love is not dependent or provisional based upon, and I'm going to say something, and some, some, somebody's going to look at me cockeyed, but it's true. God's love is not, is not conditional or dependent upon our obedience or our performance. Does that mean God wants us to sin? No. But his love is not dependent upon that. Because when we were yet sinners, ungodly and unrighteous, he loved us. He loved us long before we knew him. He didn't love us because he knew we would would, uh, believe in Christ. No, no, no. He loved us long before that. Now, a Calvinist would come back and say, and and Pastor Stewart mentioned it in passing, if you remember. He said uh, that, that someone he knew indicated that they believed that God only loved people after they got saved. Well, that's not what the Scripture says at all. Rather, the opposite. And if God loved us before we were born and God loved us 
without any regard to our obedience or our performance, that's the, that's the, the trendy term these days, your performance, then that means God's love will never be taken from us. And yet there are people that think that God has left them, that God no longer, no longer loves them. Listen, God loved you and God loved me when we were in the worst of conditions. It had nothing to do with our condition. It had everything to do with God's heart. So even now, God might be displeased with me when I sin as a believer. He is displeased with me when I sin as a believer. But His love is not diminished. It is just as secure, just as safe, just as fresh and strong as when I'm living in perfect obedience, which is pretty much never. <laughs> Look at Romans chapter 8. You got to remember, there's a strong connection between in scriptures between the love of God and the cross. You'll see this over and over as we read. Chapter 8, verse 35. You know this passage. This is a great passage. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? You know, many people think, they literally think this if they don't say it. They think when bad things happen to me in my life, it's an indication that God doesn't love me. That's just not true. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or so. If God loved me, then why are these things happening to me? That doesn't separate you from the love of God. It cannot. He says this in verse 36. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at these words, verse 38. Neither death, that's the worst possible thing that could happen to us as a, as a believer living upon the earth. That is, that is the pinnacle or the, the lowest point, the valley of the shadow of death. You can't get any worse than that. And God says, not that will not separate us from God's love. Not life. Think, think, think about this now. Meditate upon this with me. It says, nor life shall separate us from love. In other words, nothing that could possibly come to pass in our life. What's included in that? Literally everything will separate us from love of God. Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. One author said you have here extremes of existence, extremes of spiritual forces, extremes of time, extremes of space. We'll keep reading. Nor things present, anything happening now, nor things to come, anything you might possibly do or might, might possibly happen to you at any point in the future could in any way affect or diminish God's love for you. Nor height, nor depth. You talk about the expanse of space, the lowest place in the ocean, nor any other creature. That Listen, this, this language encompasses anything and everything possible that could happen. This is, this is saying there is no possible circumstance in which a Christian 
in, a, in which a Christian could be alienated from the love of Christ. You know what that does for us? That gives us the greatest sense of real security. Because there is something in our life that is unchanging and undiminished, the love of God, and it will never under, I know I'm repeating myself, but I'm repeating myself because this is the, how emphatic this is. There is never anything that will change the love of God under any circumstance. I don't care if you sin. I don't care if a, an asteroid hits this planet. Nothing can change that. You know, there, there are times when believers, God calls them to go through very difficult circumstances. You know what? Circumstances that don't have explanations as to why they're happening. And what, what you must have in that case is you must have something rock solid, unchanging to cling to. Some of you, I know some of you, and some of the things that you've had to pass through, things that if I had to pass that, I, I, I don't know that I would come out on the other side. And the love of God, not just the love of God, but other things similar to that were something that you could constantly resort to to give you comfort. You know, many of you are aware of the situation going on with my wife and her family. It is, as it appears, it is the probably worst possible thing that she would have to face, at least as it seems. And one thing I've heard her describe in, in this time of sorrow and, and difficulty with her family is how God would remind her that despite her family, when my father and my mother forsake me, the Bible says, yet the Lord will take me up. You know what? The love of God was an anchor and has been and continues to be an anchor to her. To hold her in place, knowing that she is not, and neither are you, totally and utterly forsaken. Never is the Christian totally and utterly forsaken. Never is the Christian at a place where nobody cares for their soul. Never. No matter what. No matter what you do, no matter what happens in your life. Never. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. God's love is persistent. It is faithful. It is true. It is unchanging as His very nature. And you know what? We all have a testimony. I think I mentioned this a couple Wednesdays or Sundays ago. I can't remember. But a memorial, a marker of God's love is the cross. It is, a, it is an historical event that demonstrates God's love in the past, an event that is written in history. It is permanent. It is etched in the Word of God. It is etched in the annals of history. And it says, I love you. I loved you then. That has not changed no more than my very nature has changed. That testifies to God's love right now to you and to me. If there's any, ever any doubt, 
when the things, the, the clouds and the, the trials and tribulations surround our mind and heart and we feel hopeless and we feel in despair like Christians sometimes feel, we can always resort to the fact that God loves us. Look at Galatians chapter 2, if you would. Verse 20. Galatians 2, 20. It says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now look at these next, these next several words. Who loved me and gave himself for me. That's so easy, comes off our lips so easily. We've heard it so many times. Did you know this is the only time in the Bible in which God's love is expressed like this to an individual? Almost every time the Bible talks about love, God loved the world. God loves us, the church. All that is true. But in this case, Paul says, I believe as an example to us, that the Son of God loved me. Me. This here is fantastic. Either... Christ only loved Paul, <laughs> me, or this verse is a pattern by which every single one of us can gladly claim, like Paul, Christ loved me. You see the cross here? Who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, in this case, what Paul, did, what Paul does is he took a, a general truth that's referring to a lot of people, kind of a collective truth. Christ died for sinners. Christ died for the church. Christ loved the world. And what he did is he put himself in that place and he says, that was me. Let me, let me, let me just bring this home to you. Christ loves you as an individual. not just all of us, you're not just one of the group, although you are, but you're also an individual that he loves. He loved, and that's, that's often what you find. You find the word love, as I looked at this, you find the word love in past tense, often, in the, in the New Testament. Loved, loved. And it's often, it's often connected with the cross. You know why I think it's in past tense? Of course, he loves us now, but it's because there's the demonstration of the love in the cross. Paul says, Christ loved me. I say, we say, Christ loved me. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 14. Paul praying for the church in Ephesus. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted, notice that, and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all, the, with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. More than we can comprehend. It's wider, it's taller, it's longer. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. But the fact of the love of Christ is supposed to root and ground us. It's supposed to give us security. It's supposed to firmly establish our hearts. You know, there are many people that that go into despair. It's what's commonly called depression in our time because they feel like no one cares. No one cares. That's a real thing. There are people that take their lives over that point, over that, that, that thought. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. The Christian never has to say that. The Christian should never think that. In fact, the knowledge of the love of God is supposed to, to put deep roots in their life. Supposed to ground them upon a rock that doesn't move, though things are, trouble, are, are, are troubling around them. I'll skip, uh, skip these just for time. Well, let's look at this one. Ephesians chapter 5, since we're already here. Look at verse 2. It says this, And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Look at verse 25. Notice the language is the same. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Look at verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So the love, of, the love of Christ is the pattern of love. Notice what it says in verse 2 again. Walk in love as Christ hath loved us. So the pattern for our walking in love to one another is the love of Christ. So by knowing the love of Christ, that's why we need to learn to stand in awe of God's love to us. Because by knowing the quality of that love, how it manifests itself, what he has done motivated by love for us, that's how we know how the members of Choice Hills Baptist Church are to treat one another, are to serve one another, are to give themselves for one another. Our love for one another is based upon Christ's love for us. Not only that, as a spouse, our love for our spouse, particularly husbands to their wives, is also based upon the love of Christ. When we serve one another and we interact with one another, we should remember that Christ loves them. Just like He loves us. And that He valued them. This was His estimation of them. They were so valuable to him, to his love, that he died for them. 
And so our love, like following the example, the pattern of Christ, we give ourselves to one another. That's the essence of service. Did you know that? Serving one another is giving yourself for another. That's what it means. Serving one another means giving yourself for one another, which is done by love. Now, lastly, look at 1 John. Chapter 3. Just a couple places in 1 John and we'll be done. Verse 16. Chapter 3, verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Stop. This is how we understand that God loves us. Right? Not because He told us, I love you. Talk's cheap. This is how we perceive the love of God. Because He laid down His life for us. Now notice the next term, the next sentence. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Where's that example? It's Christ. Love. Laid his, down, laid his life down. But notice how that love, once again, is supposed to affect how we interact with one another in this body. This is the basis, the pattern for giving ourselves to one another because Christ gave, you know what? Christ gave himself for Brother Mark out of love. Christ gave himself out of love for Mrs. Myers. So I should do the same. For James and David, Brother Lester and Karen, Priscilla, all of us. Because he laid his life down for us, so we should lay our lives down for one another. This is not just talking about death. How do I know that? You know, Because we think of laying down one's life. We think that means you sacrifice your life. But look at the next verse. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? You see that? The love of God. This is laying one's life down. Little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So it's not words. Love is action. Love does something. That's why it's hard to define because it's best seen. When, that, when I saw that, that, that father jump on the son and cover his son's body, with his own body, when there's a raging bull right next to him ready to gore him, you know what I thought? That's love. That's what I thought. That's love. I could not have explained it more, any more eloquently. The dictionary didn't have a, def- a definition that was better than that illustration because it's something that is seen. And lastly, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also to love one another. You see that again? Love in our church between our members is based upon the love of Christ to us. You see, so the Father loved the Son 
the Son and the Father love us. And then we look at that example and we say, the Lord loved them. I should love them with the same quality as God loved me. This is how we love and serve one another, following our Lord's example. But the last thing I want us to see is this. God's love is not a response to our love. God's love is an originating love. Look at verse number 19. I love this verse. We love him because he first loved us. We didn't love God. He loved us when we had nothing to offer him. Despite of us, knowing, uh, knowing the way we were full well. So he doesn't, again, he doesn't love us because we do right, because we live right, although we should. That's not why he loves us. He loves us when we were sinners, ungodly, wicked. But notice, his love is the initiator. His love is the originator. Our love to him is the answer, right? Our love to him is the response. His love is not an answer to our love or goodness or righteousness. No, his love is the originator. But our love to him is the answer. The answer back to God. So when we hear the love of God and that sound falls on our ears and we understand the love of God and we know the depth and the breadth and the height and length and all that of the love of God that passeth knowledge like we read, when all of that happens and we get a good glimpse of the love of God, remember at the beginning, what did I say? I said, I'm here not to talk about your love to God. Remember, I said that. I just want us to stand in awe. I just want us to stand in awe of God's love to us. Just to think about it. Think about how far it goes, who it reaches. Because when we read verse 19, we're reminded of the fact that our love to God is the answer of God's love to us first. So I'm not here to help you love God. If we understand God's love to us, the response is naturally for us to love Him back. We love him because he first loved us. I'd encourage you to take some time to think about the love of God. Think about yourself. Think about how lovable you are. Or unlovable you have been, maybe is the better way to put it. And maybe God will give us a greater glimpse of his love. Let's pray.